This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's always my honor to be with you. And I'm actually incredibly honored this evening because I have the program director from CKNW in Vancouver, Larry Gifford, an all-around great guy here to share his story about what it's like to be diagnosed at a young age with Parkinson's disease. I also want to say I've learned a tremendous amount from his podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. And may I suggest you listen to that? You should suggest that. That's a great (laughs) idea. Thanks for having me, Maureen. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. So you're a young man, 46, look much younger than that. Oh, thank of you. Of course, yes. And, <laughs> and shockingly, because we associate Parkinson's disease with older people. And so about a year and a half ago, you were diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. You'd had some symptoms. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah, so I, I, uh, I've had symptoms now, looking back, for like nine or ten years. Uh, started with my gait, and I had like a shuffling, clomping foot, and we thought I was overweight or I was just out of shape or, you know, just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you diagnose that? Was it Dr. Google or your own physician? Pick up your feet, Larry. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then uh, just little things would happen. I lost my sense of smell along the way, uh, which I didn't even realize I did until like one day I realized like, oh, I don't smell the cooking anymore. I don't smell the garlic. Or, wow. Um, and I didn't, know, I didn't know at the time that that was a symptom for Parkinson's. Yes, it is. Um, and, uh, you know, just little things, mood things, being, not being able to get words out right or, or losing my voice uh, late in the day, what I call Parkinson's voice, where it's just sort of like you, you get this raspiness to it. You um, sure that's not radio voice? Well, I used to be able to, to do like a full shift. I, well, I was on the radio for 12 years hosting shows four hours at a time, six-hour anchor shifts. And I was doing some anchor shifts, and about three hours in, I would lose my voice. Interesting. Uh, and so I didn't have the stamina to, to, to continue. And that's, I thought, wow, that's, am I getting old? Like, again, you, you don't think it's disease. That's you right, just yeah. think you're changing. Something else I've learned, and I've learned so much from listening to your podcast, and I've listened to all of them. I've learned about anxiety and depression and panic attacks, insomnia, things you would never think, like loss of smell of yeah. s- and uh, also um, you know, loss of your voice. You wouldn't think that's Parkinson's. We think Parkinson's is tremors. Right. Well, that's, so the tremor, when I finally got the tremors, when I went to the doctor and said, what's going on with my arm? And they're like, oh, it's more than that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And at first they thought it was MS, and then mm-hmm. uh, they later diagnosed it as Parkinson's, where MS, I thought I was getting weak. And if I was getting weaker on my right side than over my left, that could be MS. But because I, my, my right side is slower than my left side, it's Parkinson's. Okay. Very so, basic diagnosis. But right, and that's the differentiator. Yeah. Very interesting. So, well, will you look great. Thanks. So, what's the secret? I know you tried a little cannabis oil. You did a little research <laughs> study, N of one. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that go for you? Uh, I, I took uh, CBD oil for about a month to try to help with my sleep, uh, and it was recommended. And I started with one drop for the first week, every night under my tongue, and then uh, two drops the second week, and three drops the third week, and four drops the fourth week. And I, I, I just never got, it never really helped my sleep. I, it helped me go, I, like I used to be, I'd wake up at one o'clock and I was up for the night. And then when I was taking the CBD oil, I would wake up at one o'clock and I could fall back asleep around two for a little bit 
longer, but I'd still have a four. Like it still wasn't a sound sleep, but it was a little bit better sleep, but it still wasn't restful enough. So I, I ended up having to uh, increase my levodopa quite a bit. Okay, and that helped you. For sure. Significantly. Now, this didn't just affect you. This has affected your family. Your lovely wife has been on the podcast. Rebecca, your son, yes. made a starring role there. <laughs> he is the star of the family, for he sure. He is, for sure. And uh, he was a little disappointed when you had tried the CBD. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> yeah. marijuana. Um, he's very cute. Uh, but it also has affected your siblings as well, your mom, your family, your well, friends. A diagnosis like this affects everyone in your sphere. It affects my coworkers. It affects my my my. my Superiors. It affects my 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 family, my my relatives, my friends from college. I mean, every, everybody's trying to figure out. Well, I knew Larry as this person in my life, a college Larry, or you know, the son, or the brother, or the husband, or the dad, and now I'm I'm that plus I'm disease guy. You don't look it. You don't. You don't come across that way. But, but I again, imagine it's tough. That's the, we got to be careful about looks. Yes, I, I think it's really important to stress this for two reasons. People can look great and feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, depression, anxiety, apathy, pain. Like like you get dystonia in your feet, you get cramps in your hands. Oh. It happens almost every day. Yeah. But it's not something you advertise. Right, exactly. And the other thing is, when you have Parkinson's, if you look at me and I'm crossing the street and I'm, maybe I don't have my walking poles with me, I, I may be moving uh, or tripping or stumbling or it may look like I'm drunk. Right. So you got to be careful about what you think you're seeing. Yeah, good point. Yeah, very good point. And a lot of people who have Parkinson's, get uh, they actually carry around cards that says, I'm, I'm not intoxicated. I yeah. have Parkinson's. Yeah. Which seems funny. I, I carry that with no, me, whether even when I'm drinking, so I can. <laughs> yeah, can I borrow a few of those? No. <laughs> but you make a great point because I had no idea that anxiety and depression. I mean, I can understand that with a diagnosis like that at such a young age, you're a dad of a young boy, that it would be you know depressing, and you would get anxiety, and and you you've experienced panic attacks as well. So people don't know what's going on on the inside. Right, and, and while certainly anybody who gets a news like this. The reaction could be anxiety or depression. With Parkinson's, the the additional whammy is that your brain chemistry changes, your brain circuitry changes, and your 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 neurons and the, like the the circuitry in your brain goes. Bzz, bzz, bzz. So you're actually. It's a symptom of the disease. It's not just a reaction to the disease. Yes, exactly. Which, and and it, it's a constellation of symptoms. Is it, it's different for every person. Right. So I, I call it the Parkinson's poker. You know, you're dealt you know, 10 cards, right. and my 10 cards may not be like your 10 cards, but we both have Parkinson's. Right. I kind of equate it to when I was growing up, you got cancer. Mm-hmm. You didn't get breast cancer. You didn't get liver cancer. You didn't get lung cancer. You got cancer. Mm-hmm. And over the course of time, they've, they've, they've fractured that. And I, I believe in the next 10 years, you'll see right. you have this type of Parkinson's, you have this type of Parkinson's, you have this type of Parkinson's. Right. You've learned so much and you've taught me so much about Parkinson's. Well, and I that's, hope so. That's through your podcast, which is fantastic, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. What made you decide to do that? I was listening to a podcast from the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and there was a neurologist out of the States who was talking about how... Uh, Parkinson's is becoming a global epi- uh, a pandemic. 
Uh, and if the people with Parkinson's don't start telling their stories, like the people with AIDS in the 80s told their stories, there won't be enough funding for the research to find a cure. And I looked around and I said, well, people need to start telling their stories. And then I said, oh, I've got microphones and I've got you know, a TV station and a radio station and this great podcast platform. If I'm not going to tell my story, how can I expect anybody else to tell theirs? Yeah, that's, that's fantastic because when we share our stories, we empower others. And, and people are coming out of the woodwork telling me their stories and, sh- and telling their friends on Facebook after years of hiding their diagnosis. You know, and, and, and to me, like one or two or three or 30 people doing that, I've already you know, succeeded at a higher level than I expected. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a clinical practice and, and I have patients sort of rolling through my practice. And at the moment, I have three patients with Parkinson's disease. And from your podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's, I was able to really affect change in the life of one of my patients. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah, it was fantastic. I could see the symptoms. I had learned so much. He did not have any tremor at all, but he experienced anxiety, depression, uh, difficulty getting his words out. Um, di- uh, he had panic attacks as well. He had difficulty sleeping. He fell. You know, he didn't walk. His gait was off. Yeah. And all of that I learned from your podcast. So thank you so much. And, and he's so grateful as well because oh, I told him how I learned about this. And, and, you know, he's actually decided to go on the medication. Excellent. Yeah, to Lo- help him. You know, everybody does it differently. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not here to recommend one treatment over another. I, people recommend things all, to me all the time because it works for them. And, and it, it is a very personalized experience. And so what works for me may, may not work for you. But through the podcast, what I try to do is share my experience and the people that I encounter along the way, what they're going through and how they're dealing with it. Exactly. And they have treatment options. They have choices. And, you know, so he's gone back to have a conversation. I wrote a letter to his doctor about his visit, and he's gone back uh, and he has an appointment with his doctor. He's looking forward to playing tennis with one of his best friends when he goes on vacation, and that's going to happen in about six weeks. And so he's going to have a a visit with his physician and and, uh, talk to him about going on the medication. And you're an important part of his team. The communication between the team of people, physicians, neurologists, psychologists, uh, physiotherapists, GPs, like that, that whole, like I'm surrounded by people that are helping me. And the communication that they have with each other is just as valuable as the communication I have with each one of them. That's right. It's critical. It, it is critical. And I, and I sent that letter and I spoke to his doctor. And, you know, hopefully because of you and because of your podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's and all the people who shared their stories and, and lifted you up and encouraged you along the way, we've affected change and changed the life of at least one man that I know, but I'm sure many, many millions out there. Uh, that's very heartening. Thank you. Uh, and you can download the podcast, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you download a podcast, you can get this, rate it, review it, share it with your friends. It's And you'll be so glad you did. You will learn about life and love and living with Parkinson's. I'm Maureen McGrath. This is Larry Gifford. Larry, thank you so much. Program Director out of Vancouver, British Columbia, CKNW. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Maureen. You're welcome. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're talking a lot about exercise tonight. As I mentioned, we are talking everything from pelvic bowls to uh, standing those shoulders up straight. And on the line, I'm very excited to have Kim Vopney. She is the vagina coach. She's an author, a speaker, and a pelvic health junkie, owner at Pelvian Wellness. And we're going to talk about Kegel Mojo. 
Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you very much. First of all, what are Kegel exercises? Well, Kegels are, Kegel or Kegel, doesn't matter how you say them, tomato, tomato. They are an exercise that was designed by a doctor named Dr. Kegel, and he saw women after childbirth having a harder time recruiting and then also relaxing their pelvic floor. So he used a biofeedback device called a perineometer that helped women see when they were contracting and when they were, relax, when they were relaxing their pelvic floor. So essentially the exercise has spawned from that initial um, testing that he did with those women. And what it is is essentially a voluntary pelvic floor contraction and then a lift of the pelvic floor followed by a conscious relaxation of the pelvic floor. Uh, so what's happened over time, though, unfortunately, is people think of a Kegel as just squeezing the heck out of their vaginas, and they end up using glutes or inner thighs, and they're not necessarily recruiting the right muscles. And what is the right muscle to recruit? How would you instruct somebody to do a proper Kegel or Kegel exercise? Yeah, the, the great question. So if you don't have a biofeedback device, uh, the first thing that I always recommend women do is see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. That is hands down the best way. If you don't have access to that, I use a lot of different cues in my work with women. So one of the, I guess the top three that I use would be imagine as you exhale that you are picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus. That's one. I'm doing Another that one Hang is, on a second. Okay. Okay. All right. Got <laughs> the blueberry. Now what do I do with it? <laughs> so you want to grab the blueberry, then pick it up. So imagine lifting it up into your body. And then you want to imagine, well, I guess sort of imagine letting it go because we want to make sure that we're not imagining picking up pianos. It doesn't have to be a maximal force contraction. You want to let the blueberry come back down in its full state. And another one that might be helpful is imagine sipping a milkshake through a straw with your vagina and then letting that go. Now you're challenging And another one, (laughs) (laughs) if you like something a little bit more tactile, some people respond better to cues. So if you are a tampon wearer, for instance, if you can imagine that you had a tampon that was starting to slip out and you wanted to prevent that and pull it back up, or if you imagine fingers or penises or anything that you're looking to draw up into the body, those are a couple of different cues. Okay, a few women might be looking for that, I'm sure, uh, to draw those (laughs) things up into the body. You said penis, not me. Um, But uh, And so that helps you to isolate the correct muscle? Yeah, and isolate, I don't know if it's necessarily the right word. I mean, it's, it's we want women to be able to identify the pelvic floor muscles and activate them. However, they ultimately are part of the whole core, and there are other muscles that will be working. We just want to make sure they're not overusing glutes, for instance, or their inner thighs to take on the work that the pelvic floor should be doing. Okay, so tell me about Kegel or Kegel Mojo. <laughs> what is that program? So, yeah, I recognize that Kegels are what are most often prescribed. If somebody is hearing that they need to work on their pelvic floor strength, they're typically told to go home and do their Kegel. So they're aware of that term. What reason would people be prescribed Kegel floor exercises? What are some of the reasons? Incontinence is a big one. Um, Organ prolapse, pelvic organ prolapse is another. um, Those would probably be the two most common. Somebody who may have something uh, like situations of pelvic pain, kegels may not be the answer for them or they would want to be focusing more on the down training, the letting go aspect of kegels rather than the picking up the blueberries. Kind of the relaxation because they might have high pelvic tone. Exactly, yep. Um, So those would be the most common reasons, but kegels themselves, so sitting or lying down and 
picking up blueberries and letting them go is fine, and it, it, but it needs to be taken really at the end of the day into movement. We're dynamic beings, and a lot of the times the symptoms of prolapse or incontinence show up more during movement. So we want to make sure that the pelvic floor can move and respond appropriately while we move. So Kegel Mojo really took Kegels, the voluntary pelvic floor activation, and combined it with movement to to make it more mojo, to make it more dynamic, to make it more functional and applicable to daily life. And and women, they're often not aware that they may have a prolapse. They're, they're often aware that they're leaking urine, and they may even leak urine with exercise or with urgency or even during sex, in particular at uh, orgasm, when a woman yeah. experiences orgasm. But a woman may or may not be aware that she has a prolapse, which is when the organs fall down or slip out of place. She may, be, have, a, she may have a vaginal exam by, by her physician uh, who may say, you have um, a, you know, a, a prolapse, do you feel a bulge or is sex painful? Um, so pelvic floor muscle exercises can help women with um, prolapse, and there are different degrees, as you know, of prolapse. So Yeah, absolutely. And, and prolapse is very, very common. Over 50% or about 50% of women have some degree of prolapse, and it's usually between, it's graded usually um, like one to three or sometimes one to four, depending on what part of the world that you're in. And um, so often, and that's part of the reason why I also am such a huge promoter of pelvic floor physio, because if you catch it early, there's so much that can be done to prevent it from progressing or even potentially reversing it. So Kegel Mojo has the voluntary activation with movement, but I've also included another exercise technique that is incredibly powerful for prolapse as well as incontinence called hypopressives. And the term hypopressives means low pressure. A lot of the movement and exercise we do in a day is would be considered high pressure. So we want to make sure we balance that with the low pressure as well. And how about women who lift things? I get that all the time. I had a woman who actually, she was moving her trampoline in her backyard from one end of the yard to the other. And her mother was screaming out the window, stop doing that. You're going to ruin your pelvic floor. I said, your mother's right. Um, so women lift, <laughs> they, you know, we're doing everything these days. And, you know, a lot of women work in industries where they have to lift a lot of boxes and uh, they're in catering. So how about taking a load off, meaning don't lift, strain or pull, eat plenty of fruits and veggies, deal with your constipation. This isn't a, this is a concert really for the pelvic floor. If the technique you are using or the weight you are lifting is contributing to symptoms or the um, increase in intra-abdominal pressure that's making things worse, then absolutely that needs to be addressed. However, I don't feel the, uh, the need to com- completely remove all lifting out of somebody's life is necessarily appropriate either. I think you just need to learn the correct strategy and you can, you can lift. Um, you just want to make sure that you're lifting or working out in your symptom-free zone and using the appropriate strategy that's not going to make your situation worse. So there's a particular exercise one might need to do prior to lifting that box. Yeah, so it, you're incorporating, which Kegel Mojo does, you're incorporating that voluntary pelvic floor activation with movement. So typically what I say is, as you exhale, that's when I'm asking you to pick up blueberries or sip milkshakes, you pre-contract the pelvic floor just before you move. So just before you push or just before you pull or just before you lift. So if you are going to lift something heavy, make sure you incorporate the breath, that voluntary pelvic floor activation, and get that 
pelvic floor engaged just before you exert your force so that it's ready for the load that you're going to be managing. It's excellent information. Thank you so much. Kim Vopney, the vagina coach, owner at Pelvian Wellness, who has a program that you ought to sign up for, Kegel or Kegel Mojo. How do people get in touch with you, Kim? Uh, you can find the program at kegelmojo.com uh, or vaginacoach.com. Either way, you'll find me. Thank you so much. And my pelvic floor thanks you immensely. (laughs) I'm Maureen McGrath, (laughs) and you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program. You asked for it. You got it. We're talking about the pelvic floor. And I have Jillian McCormick. She is a pelvic floor physiotherapist on the North Shore of Vancouver, British Columbia. Joining me, she's on the line. Hello, Jillian. Hello, Maureen. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This is such important information for women, especially women who may leak urine or women who may feel that they have a weakened pelvic floor, can lead to prolapse. So tell me, why is it important for a woman to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist at any time in her life, but in particular, perhaps before she's had a baby and after she's had a baby? They've done studies. Science is great. And what they figured out is that we're really bad at finding our pelvic floor contraction. So they looked at women and they said, here, read these instructions. And then they tested what they did with an internal assessment. And 50% of these women did the exact wrong thing. Isn't that so interesting? They need help to find these muscles. And when you use your muscles, I can feel that you use them in a balanced manner, right and left, front and back, and I can feel the impact that your contraction has on your bladder, on supporting your organs, um, and you can tell that um, that you're doing something because my fingers are there. So uh, it's a win-win. So Kegel or Kegel exercises, depending on how you pronounce them, or pelvic floor muscle exercises, they're all the same. So is that something that women should be doing all the time, every day? is at least part of a, um, an, a regular exercise program. Uh, it's pretty hard to get things in every day all the time, but two or three times a week, a concerted effort into your pelvic floor uh, to do your Kegels um, is often great maintenance. Now, if you're at the beginning of the process and you've just had a baby and you're quite weak, you actually may well need to do your exercises every day and several times a day until your muscle is strong enough to function properly. And, that's and after a- that, it's a matter of maintenance. And that's a particular time of life for a woman when she may deliver vaginally or not. It's not necessarily just women who've had babies that can leak urine, but we see it very commonly after a woman has had a vaginal delivery that she leaks urine with cough and sneeze and exercise and jumping on the trampoline because we all become trampoline jumpers after we become moms for some strange reason. Um, And so (laughs) leaking urine is never normal, nor is it sexy. But it takes a woman yeah. a long time to see a healthcare professional about her leakage of urine. Why is that? Uh, I think these are hard things to talk about. So women are underreporting; they're not taking it to their physicians and saying, "I'm not okay with this." Sometimes their physicians are telling them, "I'm sorry, but you've had a baby. What do you expect?" So they get poor information. Um, what's important, I think, for women to know these days is that if you suspect you have a pelvic floor problem. You don't need to go to your doctor. You can go straight to a physiotherapist, and they can tell you whether you do or not. And this is a pelvic floor physiotherapist, specifically, correct? Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, Because a physiotherapist, yes, so that focuses on the the pelvic floor, as you do. Um, And and oftentimes, this 
this isn't, um, Rome wasn't built in a day and it doesn't take a day to turn this around. I think something else women don't realize is that there are treatment options for leakage of urine. Yes. And it takes a lot of education uh, and time. And how much time do you spend with a woman in, in, that has stress urinary incontinence or is leaking urine with cough and sneeze? Right. How much time, like, is in how many visits? When she comes to see me, she's going to get one-on-one attention uh, between an hour and 45 minutes generally. Um, and I may need to see her over a period of one to three months, sometimes checking in even longer after that. Um, but to like any exercise program, to build a muscle uh, takes 12 weeks of a progressive resisted exercise program. And that is true in your pelvic floor as it is for your quadriceps or your gluteus maximus. Of course. And we forget about that pelvic floor. And one thing that also can happen for women is uh, after they've delivered a baby or just because they're standing or because of perimenopause and the alteration in the hormones and the urogenital tract, they may lose the elasticity of the tissues and therefore their, their bladder may fall down. And, and uh, that's something that needs to be treated sooner rather than later, would you say? I would say definitely sooner rather than later. Um, what's interesting about prolapse is that a lot of women will have it and have no symptoms at all of, of having a prolapse. Um, it's quite common after having carried and delivered a baby. If you do have symptoms like pressure or fullness in your vagina, uh, the treatment is, is the same whether you have symptoms or not, and that is that you need to have a strong pelvic floor. Your pelvic floor is chiefly responsible for keeping those organs up and inside your body. And, and some women experience sexual pain with a prolapse, depending on the degree of prolapse. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, correct. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of vaginal exams, and doctors are going away from doing vaginal exams for a number of reasons. Um, but it's important to look at a woman's tissues and, and her muscle, measure her muscle strength, and also look to see, is that a urethraceal? Is that a grade one prolapse? We can, per- you can, <laughs> perhaps prevent that from progressing. Exactly. Very much so. Uh, and a vaginal exam is uh, always a part of of what I do when you come to the clinic um, because I agree with you that they are, are so important and you just can't get the information about what's specifically happening unless you do the internal. I can't tell by looking at you what your muscles are doing. Exactly. And and many women are, I mean, I don't want to say afraid of their vaginas, <laughs> but that's one way to look at it. Uh, you know, they've, exactly. they've, they've never looked down there. They feel something. Maybe they feel a bulge, an unwanted bulge, and they get afraid and they think they have cancer. But vaginal health, I'm trying to promote, as the vagina whisperer out there on the airwaves anyway, uh, I'm trying to promote good vaginal health. And that involves pelvic floor muscle exercises and a trip to a pelvic floor physiotherapist like yourself for an assessment because that how important is that assessment? It's it's very important. Um, there's a whole host of variations on a good contraction that you can be doing that actually don't provide you uh, with the results. Uh, so you could be practicing something in vain for a very long time and not seeing the benefit of it. And a simple uh, so we say adjustment in terms of how you think about the muscle or what you're doing when you're training can make all the difference. But those aren't things that I'm going to be able to pick out for you unless I do an internal exam. And that's yeah. why a lot of women, I imagine, when they say, well, I tried Kegels in it, or Kegels or pelvic floor muscle exercises, whatever you call them, and they say, and they didn't work. But did they do them yes. correctly, I think is the critical question is what you're saying. Yes. 
And, and as we know, as already mentioned, we just don't do a very good job of these exercises. We don't have a great relationship with our pelvic floors because it's all tied into peeing and pooing and sex and shame and, and because it's inside of our bodies, we can't see those muscles. That's right. Um, so it, it, they're tricky. It's a tricky thing. Absolutely. <laughs> but there are so many options for women. You don't have to leak urine. Leaking urine is never normal. Jillian, you're working out of Canopy Integrative Health over in Lynn Valley on the North Shore of British Columbia. Is that right? That is correct. And yeah. if somebody had a question for you and they'd like to email you, um, could, would that be possible? Absolutely. Uh, they can send me an email at physiojillian, spell it just like it sounds, but with a G, at gmail.com. They can check out my website, same thing, physiojillian.com. Uh, and coming up here uh, next week on the 20th of November, I'm hosting a pelvic health workshop. It's called Your Pelvis and You Together Forever. And we're just going to talk about the things that you can do to keep your relationship with your uh, pelvis in good health over the course of your lifetime. Nice. That's great. Your pelvis, you and your pelvis together forever. I love it. Good luck with the event, Jillian. That's happening on Tuesday, November 20th. Perfect. Tuesday, Tuesday November 20th from 7 until 8.30. Excellent. Well, good luck with that. Thanks for all the great work you do in the name of women's pelvic floors. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.